0: So this is John Reed, and I'm joined with Kevin Benedict, Enterprise Mobility uh, Production Specialist. He puts out more content than you could ever consume, I think, but a lot of it's got me thinking right now about the future of Enterprise Mobility. Kevin, we were in Barcelona recently, and you were actually on a whirlwind, I think, three-week global tour at that time. So what were some of the takeaways you took from mobility across so many geographies and from the event itself?
1: Oh, yeah, I had the good fortune of um, traveling from Boise, Idaho, where I am today, and going actually to Narita, Japan, and then to Singapore, and then to Chennai, India, where I spent a week there at and we have like cognizant has about ten different campuses in Chennai, just gorgeous, palm trees, fountains, pools, everything around there. the beautiful. Nonetheless, I was there working with our labs and learning from our labs, and we have uh, Internet of Things labs, we have Enterprise Mobility Labs, Augmented Reality Labs, and all these labs are not necessarily focused on uh, production solutions, but really challenging existing technology to see where those outer limits are, and then inviting our customers from around the world to actually come to those labs and see the very outpost of technology and see what's possible so they can go back to their own organizations and start thinking, okay, I've seen the horizon on digital transformation and I know what we're going to need to do today and what we need to start building into our budgets to prepare for that horizon as it gets near.
0: And when you look at the Mobile World Congress event, obviously it's an event on a massive scale. Uh, well, I, I don't know what the exact tally is. It's around – 100,000 people. Yeah,
1: 93,000 I saw last week.
0: Yeah. Um, And I went two years ago, and then I was back again this year, and uh, I was struck by uh, some of the changes. I mean, obviously there's a lot going on at that event besides enterprise mobility. A lot of it is about the latest cool gadgetry, and uh, usually there's a massive phone announcement, Samsung or what have you. Um, but enterprise mobility, I thought, was very different this time around. First of all, the vendors were there at a much larger scale than I saw in the past, but also the conversations were so different. Um, like this year was all about uh, the connected enterprise and Internet of Things and, and actually showing off um, real use cases around these topics, um, not just hypotheticals but things that were in production that seemed to be a pretty big shift. Uh, were you seeing similar changes?
1: Yeah, I can think back three years ago, John. You had a lot of the kind of startup enterprise mobility companies there. You know, just a lot of the in the mobile backend as a service startups were there. You had a lot of mobile application development platform players there. Um, and they were all trying to see if that was their niche to actually be at the Mobile World Congress. This year, none. It was blank on those guys. Why? They've been there for several years and the market's changed. What you've seen is you've seen a lot of acquisitions, a lot of mergers, so that a lot of these startups are now part of bigger companies, and those bigger companies are there, but they're offering everything they have. So you're seeing a lot of those little startups kind of disappear into other bigger platform players and more traditional IT solution product companies. So you're seeing less of the guys I used to talk to, they're not there anymore. Actually, they're there, but not with booths. They're walking around the floors learning, but they're not having booths of their own because uh, the game has changed. The game is for the big boys today.
0: And what are you hearing from customers in terms of their level of maturity with mobility? Uh, In the past, what I would see was more like, oh, we rolled out an app or we rolled out a pilot project. Uh, Are we seeing uh, broader adoption and what are some of the issues you're seeing there?
1: Yeah, so you are seeing broader adoption, but I do think there was a kind of a pause after that pilot phase. Because companies recognize that, boy, if this is going to take as long and if it's going to cost as much for every app that I'm trying to roll out as it did my pilots, that's going to be problematic. So they step back and say, we're going to have to figure out ways to manage this total cost of ownership for these applications. Because really, we look at the, you know, at a roadmap and there's going to be a hundred of these apps out there and they can't all cost as much and take that much time. I would, you know, waste a lot of money and my entire IT operation would be just mobile apps. So how can I actually standardize the way I do this so I can scale mobile apps in a manner where I can manage that total cost of ownership and we can start standardizing on the tools that we use, the platforms we use, the way we secure our data and secure the apps and secure our devices, starting to figure out, you know, how to support the BYOD environment, and what that really means in their company, how do you actually enforce your policies and you know govern the things that you put in place. Um, and so the, I really think there was this pause about 24 months ago where everybody says, okay, we kind of know what mobile's going to do for us, but we got to figure out how to do it. And uh, I think there's a lot more companies that now have enough in place where they're starting that scaling operation. But it's interesting uh, from the vendor side out here, uh, the recognition that there's not as much money on the mobile app side as originally anticipated by the industry itself. They thought this was going to be a huge money market, but the money is really not on the app side. The money you're seeing is really on transforming the enterprise infrastructure to support real-time mobility. So there's going to be massive amount of investment required to support mobility, but it's not on the mobile app side as much as it's going to be on re-engineering processes and uh, legacy systems so they can actually support the real-time interactions that customers and users require today.
0: I noticed you did an on-site video with uh, Amisha Gandhi of SAP about five mobility trends that you were looking at. I I haven't had a chance to grab the video. Uh, are there any other trends that you'd call attention to besides what you just mentioned?
1: Yeah, you know, I can see trending up. You're seeing a, 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 an adoption of the model around the mobile backend as a service or the acronyms EMBASS, mobile backend as a service. Is that mobile middleware in a cloud that you can subscribe to? Um, That's really the direction that the industry seems to be settling on. So they're moving away, and there's there's a trend away from the mobile application development platforms. And most of the big boys within mobile application platforms development space have actually changed or went away, actually. You see some of the big companies, even SAP, changing their strategy, much more emphasis around cloud mobility. You see big players like Coney Solutions, you know, continually trying to find that sweet spot so they're continually kind of uh, um, rebranding themselves and introducing new kinds of products all in the hope that they're going to find that sweet spot that they've been chasing for a bunch of years. So, you know, you just see that evolution within the industry. But uh, the mobile middleware in the cloud seems to be the preferred trend going forward. There's a big, you know, continuing trend, I have to say, an emphasis around mobile security, data security, application security, and what does that mean. I actually see more interest around kind of enterprise app stores too, so that there's a more consistent way of managing actually who downloads the company app, who's actually using it, uh, all these kinds of things, and then being able to look at the metrics around usage, So you can fix issues with user experience, that kind of thing. So there's a continued emphasis around there. Cloud's big. You know, we use our phones for decades and decades. We use phones, and the network is somewhere else. We don't host our own switchboards and networks in our own building. And mobility is the same way. We're all starting to recognize that, you know, we can have that network in the cloud. We can have that uh, connection in the cloud. We can have our mobile middleware in the cloud. We really just want the utility of those mobile apps. We don't actually need to have all that on premise. You see a big thing there. A lot of just about I think maybe all the mobile platform players are embracing the Internet of Things, John. You see a lot of that. They don't want to be left out of that next wave of technology. And really, if you think about the technology part, To the actual mobile middleware, it doesn't matter to them if the data is coming from a mobile smartphone or coming from a sensor. It's all mobile data to them, and they can handle it the same way. So you're seeing a really kind of a combination there. Um, And also I would just say, you know, there's been a lot of talk on converging mobile solutions over the years where you think everything's coming together, but I don't see that. And, And actually the trend seems to be breaking up there. Because as I just talked about, those mobile application development platforms used to be end-to-end solutions, and they thought that was the way everybody wanted. Companies have rejected that, in effect. The markets rejected that. They said, you know what? We want to use our own tools and our preferred tools for those user experiences and the mobile apps themselves and the UXs and all that, and we want to pick the best kind of mobile middleware, and we'll subscribe to that in the cloud because we don't want to be uh, betting our entire enterprise in IT environment on one vendor. So we'll subscribe and we'll see how they do. And so you're seeing actually kind of a breakup to a best of breed. And, uh, companies seem to prefer that because I think they recognize how incredibly important supporting mobility is to their company's future success. And they're not willing to bet that, the future of their company on a startup. So they're going to you know, hedge their bets. They're going to subscribe to some services, make sure they work over time, give them some more business and roll things out. But they're going to go into it that way. Those are kind of the big trends I'm seeing, John.
0: And and Kevin, I know I know that there's a lot of variation in in mobile adoption in different regions of the world. Some of that is by necessity, right, where you have certain areas where there just isn't a whole lot of brick-and-mortar infrastructure, so... I've done a lot of interviews with companies in, in Africa, for example, who are doing kind of mobile by necessity, mobile banking because the yeah. infrastructure is not there. And a lot of that is really interesting where, where I'm like, well, why don't we have those kinds of mobile banking services in the U.S.? Um, tell me your thoughts on sort of as you've traveled around the world, are you seeing variation on this or are these themes coming up consistently?
1: Well, yeah, you are seeing that, and you know you got to think about it. Let's let's look in the context of Africa. You know, Africa has more simplistic um, economies, if you would. There's things that can be done. The low hanging fruit is a lot lower. So by being able, you know, they don't have banks on every corner, and people don't have enough money and jobs, and the economy is not big enough to support having this mass market of retail banks out there. And because of that they're trying to serve an underserved population that hasn't been hasn't been in a situation where they have those services because the model the retail model of, of Western economy simply doesn't work so they're saying you know there is still a need but not the same need so what can we do well everybody you know somewhere close to eighty percent of people have access to to phones in places like Rwanda so how do we actually use those phones to support The banking needs of that underserved population. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a problem and there's a solution and it works. And so it's transforming a lot of those kind of simple requirements out there. And you'll see those uh, increase in sophistication as the economy grows and as we, as the needs and as the user base uh, needs it as well. So those are really cool. But you know, you see things like in Asia where they're far advanced and they just have a different philosophy about trust in about mobile payments. In Europe, you know, they're five years ahead of us in in mobile payments with their phones and things like that. In Asia, in many cases, they're way ahead of us in some areas, especially on the consumer side, quite a ways behind us on the enterprise side in Asia. So there's a mixed bag there uh, based on cultural issues, based on, you know, the way actually the people view their government, because in the U.S., you would think, why in the world aren't we doing mobile payments years ago? Well, we have this whole, you know, distrust the government, distrust everybody. Let's, let's, of course, not work together and not agree to do anything in the country's best interest. You know, and because of all these kind of fragmentation that we're all dealing with here, it's really hard to put together um, – a mobile banking agreement and standards that would benefit all of us because everybody's just at each other's throat.
0: Right. Well, Kevin, that was an excellent overview of the trends. Uh, my only issue I'll take with you is the MBAS issue. I'm not sure if I can handle another acronym. Um, oh
1: yeah. And that's probably one of the worst that's ever come out of a geek's yeah. mouth.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a tough one, but, but I, I get your point, And I think, I think, your your comment about the end-to-end solutions part rings true to me in the conversations i had as well as far as customers not being interested in in buying the whole mobile stack if you will from from one vendor that doesn't seem to be where customers are at right now.
1: Oh yeah, i mean i remember going back 5 years sitting with these big enterprise mobile application development platform vendors and their strategy was simple, it was to create a monopoly, lock in their big customers get them up front, lock them in so they could be the next SAP, ERP of mobility. And they wanted to get them and get as many quickly and then lock them into a proprietary environment and milk it for the next 20 years. And, you know, the customers are are smart. They saw that and they said, look, I've done that with my back-end systems. I'm not doing that with mobility because mobility is my future. I've learned from the past. I'm going to make myself far more agile. And uh, with the ability to use best of breed when I want
0: it. Right. Okay, I think that's a good stopping point for round one. So uh, thanks for that, Kevin. And uh, now, if you're just watching this video, I'm rejoined by Kevin Benedict, enterprise mobility expert and dare I say guru, Kevin. If that doesn't bother you too much, uh, that guru phrase. I, I, guess, I just came from a trip to India where guru has
1: positive connotation.
0: Oh, ahead. nice. All right. Well, that that's good then. It's maybe we're we should move on to Ninja anyway because I think that's sort of the latest and greatest. But uh,
1: I was but anyhow, just in Japan too, so we could go with that.
0: We could go with Ninja. All right, cool. I'm I'm getting some great '80s movies images in my mind while we're while we're speaking, so that's nice. Um, but anyhow, um, on topic here, uh, we kind of laid out a bunch of the enterprise mobility trends that you're seeing. I wanted to dig in a little further into some where-do-we-go-from-here questions. Uh, I wanted to go back into this question of cost of ownership because you talked previously about this challenge where companies are trying to move beyond, okay, we built an app, we had some success with that app perhaps, but maybe a little daunting from a cost perspective. So even though a lot of these mobile trends are undeniable and when you see statistics, you see the level of investment coming in, in the mobile space, Um, computer economics uh, my colleague Frank Scavo just did a survey that that showed a lot of aggressive spending in mobile but at the same time there's these lingering concerns around return on investment and I think there's a growing sense that just because you give your users access to something on an iPhone or an Android or whatever doesn't mean you have a win necessarily right so aren't there some hard questions being asked right now about how do we get there
1: Well, yeah, you know, I recently spoke to um, the CIO team of a Fortune 100 company, and they gave me a metric that was interesting. They said for every mobile app, they're going to have to have a full-time IT person assigned to that app. So if you think you're going to have 100 apps come out, you know, and, and you use that metric, that's 100 new FTEs to support those those applications. And that starts to get obnoxious and expensive, And you don't want, and so the first question from an IT perspective is, you know, I don't want to build those hundred apps in a hundred different ways. I don't want to use a hundred different tools that, you know, every developer has their favorite tool and I don't want to just open it up so everybody can build an app any way they want. I don't want my APIs to be different for every app, so you know I never know how it's integrated with the back end. And if I upgrade a mobile app, I don't know actually what's going to be impacted and what processes are going to be impacted. Now you quickly come to the conclusion in IT, you've got to rein in this chaos, and you've really got to standardize those processes unless you just won't get the ROI that you've hoped for. So you start looking at it and saying, guys, we need to make sure that we understand why, why we're using a particular development tool for mobile apps. Let's see if we can use that for all of them or as many as possible. That will reduce our cost around training people and certifying them on that particular uh, application, just will gain experience on it. That will scale and will benefit through the Basically, economy of scale, right? So every time you make an app, it's faster and faster for the next app because of the experience you've gained. Let's make sure we have standardized ways of testing. You know, are we using automated testing platforms or services out there um, to be able to do this so we have a process that's almost automatic? Here's a new app. Here's what we do to test it. So you start standardizing and minimizing the variables standardizing on as few components as possible. That reduces training, that reduces the errors you're going to have when you always experience when you're learning something new and really start streamlining that process. And that's really where everyone wants to get. And, of course, John, one of the struggles with that is a lot of mobile apps are built by third parties or contractors. But you as an IT organization, you need to be applying or insisting that those contractors and developers follow your policies and standards. Find somebody that already knows your chosen software development environment, that knows your chosen platform and mobile middleware and your security environment and your testing environment. Find them. I mean, you need to dictate as an IT organization that you want to. You need help, but you need help in your areas. Don't open up for free reign because, as you know, those contractors will come and go, and you'll be left to support it. And the total cost of ownership will go through the roof if you don't stand top of that.
0: Yeah, and let me add another couple logs to the fire from your own website. You published a couple recent podcasts that noted. Uh, 88% of enterprises have mobile deployments, but only 8% of mobile service directors know how their deployments are performing. And then 95% of companies acknowledge they have problems with their mobile deployments, but most lack the insight and often the resources necessary to address them effectively. Sounds like some analytics problems as well, Kevin.
1: Yeah, you know, there's some – what's interesting here is that you have some core – recognize software vendor categories, and, uh, you know, it could be like mobile security, UX, and mobile app development. Then you have mobile middleware. But there's these gaps in between those major categories that, uh, that companies that do application lifecycle management take care of, and we don't always think about those. But a lot of those will say, you know what, we're going to have you build into your app up front some code that lets us really look at usability and lets us really look at the metrics on how apps use, the speed for loading things, the pages use problems. We'll log all the problems. And we do that by building in some code and scripts in the original development. And, uh, yeah, there's vendors out there. There's a and then there's, testing companies like Perfecta Mobile, and there's other companies like Beta, Beta m Solutions. All these guys don't fit naturally in the categories we seem to recognize up front, but they provide these lifecycle tools that really allow you to look at the usability of your app once you've deployed it.
0: So where do you think we're going from here, Kevin? I mean, there's been one of the things I noticed is that, from an enterprise mobility standpoint, a lot of the most exciting and interesting things um, weren't even sort of what you would think of as like the human mobile component, as much as like things like sensor data, the Internet of Things. In um, in Barcelona, I did a podcast with uh, Thin Film, where they have printable uh, smart codes on bottles that essentially. Uh, allow a different kind of relationship with the consumer because they have an understanding of whether the consumers open the bottle or not, which is a whole different way of looking at, like, mobile intelligence. Um, it seems like there's really been changes in, okay, co- so, so right now you're talking about TCO, which is really important, but there's also a business model transformation thing I'm seeing where it's no longer just let's give our field service employees access to our system on their app, now it's about whole new use cases uh that involve a whole different way of approaching the market uh Philips with their smart lights was another one that I did in Barcelona where now lighting takes on a, an intelligent quality and almost becomes a data platform for new services this is exciting but also a little it makes your head spin a little too
1: Yeah, John, I think right now, this is my personal opinion, you're seeing a lot of trial and error in R&D that's being floated around to see what sticks. And, you know, I think a lot of the stuff you're seeing displayed at places like Mobile World Congress, I mean, nobody has any real misguided hope that they're going to make a fortune on it, but they're throwing out just about every kind of idea they have right now to see which one actually has legs. And there's a lot of that going out there. They're treating these big conferences as R&D environments. You know, what do the customers say? What do they like? Because um, right now, you know, there's some very powerful ROIs to be had in some industrial use cases. People are still trying to find, you know, what what what's the real story? What's the real compelling experience for consumers? Um, Because even if you look at, you know, home automation systems, which I think personally is very cool, the adoption rate is very low on that kind of stuff yet. So, but the idea behind it is absolutely driving the future, which is the world is going to be covered by more and more sensors. Sensors, I describe that as um, being able to. Uh, sense things beyond your physical senses so you can only reach this far with your hand but sensors allow you to see and feel what's going on on the other side of the world now that's really important to companies with multinational organizations and manufacturing plants all over i think of one you know just unilever has over 600 food processing plants around the world can you imagine having a basically a command and control center in one location that's reviewing the performance and the behaviors and the maintenance of equipment in 600 plants all from one command and control through the use of sensors. So you can see just the huge compelling opportunities that sensors can be providing data that can provide optimization in planning and optimizing workforce and optimizing scheduling. All of that kind of stuff is brilliant. So you have those industrial use cases, and they've been out there actually for decades. They just didn't have the flashy buzzwords. But now we're moving into the consumer space saying, you know, are there other opportunities around the house, around cars? Yes. The automobile is a compelling case, in my opinion. Uh, but all the other areas that we're seeing, all those fun gadgets, they're still testing to see which one's going to stick,
0: John. Right. Right. Then there's a pretty massive debate going on around is the future, you know, of these app development, is it really more of a, you know, an HTML5 slash web future or are we still going to have a proliferation of apps? And if so, you know, if you're developing apps and you're trying to develop for specific devices, now you're running into TCO problems again where, you know, it's one thing to roll out one app, across devices, it's another thing to have to do, customize an iPhone, Windows, and Android version of that same app. Uh, where, where are you on this whole notion of, of the future of apps and the future of development?
1: Yeah, so um, in my opinion, you have two big use cases. W- where your brand is associated with an app, and that app is out there for your customer base and prospects in the consumer market, you need to use whatever clever advantage you can to have the best brand experience and user experience. So you know it's so you're gonna see people using native and I don't see any end to that. They'll be using native for iOS, native, for Android, all that because they think they want that extra 10, twenty percent of functionality they can get in those environments because they really believe that that makes all the difference when it comes to brand experience and they're willing to spend and have a higher total cost of ownership around those kinds of solutions. Now, looking at uh, the productive apps or the productivity apps, I guess you call it, I call them utility apps even, it's all the things like internal apps you want your employees to have so they can take care of their uh, payroll information, they can take care of their HR kinds of stuff, their investment and retirement programs. Yeah, yeah. Anything that they're going to use internally there, I think for most of that, the HTML5 gives all and more than they need. And the total cost of ownership will be quite a bit less because right. you build once and you can support tablets, you can support laptops, you can support all the different platforms within the mobile device space.
0: But even so, even if you go HTML5, which, which does make sense in the – I, I get your point. If, if if I'm asking you to fill out expense reports, you know I might not need to have uh, all the bells and whistles of a you know a Siri based environment for the iPhone or whatever. Um, but at the same time, there is a growing understanding I think that mobile development is different than than kind of porting over your enterprise solutions. So, are you seeing companies develop more intelligence about how they roll out apps because if you roll out a crappy mobile app where you have to go through the same amount of transaction screens as you do for when you're sitting at your desk, it's just not going to fly. Users aren't going to use it.
1: Well, this is almost back to the whole, um, what we're learning around gamification, what we're learning around the social environment on online to social media, where you have the ability to do thumbs up, thumbs down, rate different applications I mean, most of the big companies that I know that are developing all these apps internally, they're allowing for internal rating systems. So you can see the internal, are the are the employees giving it one star out of five and why? And here's their comments, and it's, you're transparent with those. So your teams know that they're going to be graded and rated on those things, so it's really important to do the job right. So you see a lot of that. That's really going to hold account IT organizations accountable for that. And I think it's going to make a better pro- product.
0: So I know that in addition to all the, the massive volume of videos and newsletters that you're able to crank out, um, you're also doing more significant research projects for this year. So uh, as we wrap up our shoot, what kinds of research are you excited about and what are you going to be doing there?
1: Yeah, there's actually two areas. One's called um, Real-Time Mobile Infrastructure. You know, what we're learning is that uh, creating the world's coolest mobile app isn't going to do you any good if your infrastructure can't support real-time interactions with your ERPs and other business solutions and business processes on the back end. So mobile applications are driving this digital transformation back into the enterprise, saying, look, in order to be competitive, and because more and more of our business is being transacted through our mobile applications, we have to support a mobile, a real time mobile environment and real time mobile interactions with our customers. And that requires a lot of changes in the back end. So that's fascinating to see how much has to be transformed within our legacy IT environment to actually support this new world of mobility. So that's one area I'm researching. My big project I'm working on right now, John, is on mobile consumer behavior, and that's considering time that you're doing things, the location you're doing things, the particular activities you're engaged in when you're using your mobile applications, and then look at the patterns. So those patterns – uh, reflect that after every soccer game, you take the soccer team to pizza. Well, if you've done that five times in a row, well, that's a pattern. So perhaps it's time to offer you a, a pizza or bring the pizza to the soccer field next time to ensure you get the business as a pizza organization or a pizza vendor because you know that there's a pattern here. And rather than roll the dice, the same soccer team is going to come to your facility You know where they're at. Let's go to them. So you're going to see this location aware and location context. What time of the day are they doing particular things? Are they shopping? Are they doing research? Are they buying? What times of the week, month, year, what holidays? What are they doing that you can better support based on the data gathered from sensors, from mobile applications, from swipes, clicks, and preferences? So that mobile consumer behavior is very important not only for vendors, but for you as the user. Because if once you've chosen a preferred vendor, you want that vendor to give you more and more personal service that's different from somebody else. Because somebody that doesn't do business with that preferred vendor, you want to be treated at a gold or a diamond level by that customer. That means you're willing to share some more personal information about your likes and preferences, so that you get that service and convenience that you so desire. And so there's this transaction. You treat me nicer if I give you more information, and I'll give you more business if you treat me nicer. So you see this kind of interaction, and so I'm spending a lot of time this year really understanding that, John.
0: That's interesting because through your story there, you kind of picked out sort of the convergence of things like personalization, geolocational issues, analytics, analytics, uh, maybe even tackling a few privacy concerns along the way. That's, a, that's an interesting collection of uh, use cases that kind of come together, I guess.
1: Oh uh, Yeah, you know, that's, we call that, of course, digital transformation. And we, we have this at Cognizant, in our Center for the Future work, we talk a lot about the concept of code halos. All of us have a halo around our head that's really all the data about us, our clicks, our swipes, our likes, our dislikes, our t- transaction histories, our shopping histories, our location information, all of this information that floats out there around us, and we want to keep some of that private, especially from vendors we don't like or don't want to do business with, but those vendors that we want to enhance a relationship with, we want them to have more and more of our personal code so they can treat us different and better.
0: Yep, that makes sense. Kevin, before we wrap, do you have a quick opinion on the uh, latest uh, mobile video phenomenon we had meerkat capturing a lot of uh, viral attention of late for live streaming video and now twitter has now released its own service periscope and there's a lot of chatter right now that maybe live stream video is is finally arrived Uh, have we reached that yet or are we still butting up against broadband limitations and everything else
1: well, you know, I'm still looking for a use case. Those kind of things like Snapchat and, and as you call it, Meerkat. I downloaded Meerkat last uh, two weeks ago for the first time. I did my first little test video on Meerkat the other week. So they're fun um, from an enterprise level, the kind of area I focus on. I don't really know how I could use it. I think it's fun for, you know, social environments and just playing or sharing information with your family and friends. Not sure yet. If there's an industrial enterprise use for that, so uh, yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump on the bandwagon yet. But it's interesting. I'm testing it.
0: I could see uh, I could see you streaming live access to like a a confidential meeting. You know that would get a lot of eyeballs. <laughs> a confidential briefing, NDA session.
1: Um, yeah, don't you think we should go in and have a SAP pricing discussion with Neurkett on?
0: That uh, sounds really good, man. I, I think that would go over like Gangbusters. Um, it is kind of interesting. I can I can think of some situations where it might be nice to live stream. Um, but I think again, you run into from an enterprise level, you run into the challenges of investment and platform. And you know, Kevin, we haven't conquered all these issues. I mean, you look back to the Mobile World Congress, a show dedicated to mobility, and look at all the Wi-Fi problems they continue to have. And look, I completely understand. It's you know, it's a massive show. But it does show you that there are still issues. We, we talk about universal connectivity like it's a no-brainer, but it's still not.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, if we look at – if we use the concept of horizon, we like to spend a lot of time, especially guys like you and me, John, focus on the horizon, all the cool new stuff. But there's not always a lot of use cases or ROIs for that new stuff, and a lot of it will yeah. die before it ever becomes – core functionality, but it's fun to look at because those are ideas that spawn new ideas and new innovations and, and new creations over time and drive us forward to keep thinking and being creative and looking for new competitive advantages. But we recognize right. that a lot of these things will never be core functionality a decade from now, but they're right. necessary to get us to those next levels of innovation.
0: Well, I think that's a good note to end on, Kevin. Thanks for sharing all that on the directions. Uh, that's going to be a great wrap for me on the event. So I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thanks, John, for having me.
0: And I like the like the bookshelf layout too. That's that's excellent, man. Makes you want to grab a title right off your shelf and dig in.
1: Yeah, it's just wallpaper.
0: It's just wallpaper, right? Not not actually real time books, right? You're all Kindle now, I would think. Uh, hey, uh, we'll talk to you soon, Kevin. Thanks. Take care.
1: Thanks, everyone.